0: We say improv, but we know this is a comedy and a very big comedy with a lot of like big set pieces and shocking scenes, but the core of it has to be real and it has to feel real on on screen, but also of course, you have to come off like a real person to the actual real person you're with who thinks you are real, so.
1: (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to the Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Jason Walliner's new comedy, Borat's subsequent movie film. Released from prison for bringing shame to his country, Kajak funnyman Borat risks life and limb when he returns to America with his 15-year-old daughter. In addition to Borat's subsequent movie film, Mr. Walliner's directorial credits include Aziz Ansari and Pat Oswalt comedy specials and episodes of the series Unconventional, What We Do in the Shadows, Last Man on Earth, Eagle Heart, New Girl, and Funnier Die Presents. Mr. Walliner spoke with director Phil Lord about filming Borat's subsequent movie film in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation.
2: Uh, my name is Phil Lord, and our guest is Jason Walliner, director of Borat's subsequent movie film, colon, you're going to have to tell us the rest of the title, my friend.
0: Oh, man, there's a few titles. Um, that would be pretty embarrassing if I didn't remember the title of the movie.
2: <laughs> you don't have to. I wouldn't put you on the spot like that. I, I, I wouldn't dare.
0: Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to Make Benefit, uh, Disgraced, former Formerly Great Nation of Kazakhstan. Something like that. It changes, I think, <laughs> It seemed in the course of the movie. And we only locked it uh, probably about a week before the movie came out. So, yeah, it was it was evolving quite a bit.
2: much like the movie itself uh will you walk these nice folks through uh kind of how you came into this project
0: sure i um i met sasha a few times i talked to him about um directing he did a show called who is america on showtime a few years ago and uh and i talked to him about that and the timing didn't work out i was kind of involved with this other thing and he and we still wanted to work together and he called me um or i got an email asking if i would uh want to meet with him about his new movie and they didn't say what it was um but i said yes sure and they sent me the script and and it didn't say borat anywhere and didn't say uh kazakhstan didn't have anything but you know it was all code um computer code it was all just gibberish it was all just like numbers (laughs) um but uh but no it was it was a a story about uh a a journalist from guatemala uh named alexi who was returning to america after a successful first movie so i i figured it out pretty quickly um and then met with them and then basically had this, I just came in very bold and I was like, look, I think the first one is the funniest movie ever. Uh, it's probably a mistake to do this. It's probably like, there's like almost the best case scenario is that it's like forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> and the And worst, worst case scenario is that it's hugely embarrassing, ruins the legacy of this great thing you made. Um, and, uh, it's just a real bummer. And, and the idea of, you know, he'd already had a lot of, a lot of the structure was there. The idea of having a daughter, I was like, yeah, that could be really bad too. <laughs> I was like, if, you, if we don't cast the right person, that's gonna be really corny. Um, because if someone's not good, if someone's not right doing that next to you, it's gonna throw off the whole thing. And then he and he also wanted to kind of do something and put it out before the election and and uh, make a real statement. So I was like, yeah, everything about this movie could be a disaster, which, and I know Phil, I, I think you share this instinct. Um, you know the fact there's like a one percent chance that something could work makes you just like dive right for it. And it's like yeah, if that if you know it's probably gonna not work at all, but if it could, yeah, that that would be the the thing. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun.
2: But so so Spike called me like, and he, uh, right around that time and said I'm meeting a couple of filmmakers about this thing, and and he asked me about you and I said the thing about Jason. First of all, no one will work harder, but I, this is a suicide mission and no one will embrace this and enjoy it more than Jason will.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
2: and and it, it's true and no one, uh, and I also told him no one is more interested in, uh, in people. And, that, and that, that's what I thought was really remarkable about the movie is that while being insane and a crazy endeavor for lots of reasons that we'll get into, it's also incredibly humane. And it seemed like that was a, a really intentional
0: approach. That was something I was saying from the, like, when I came in there, they were talking about the real people that would be in the movie and um, calling them targets. And one of the first things I said was, why don't we call them guests? <laughs> <And> they're, also, <laughs> they're also coming from Who's America where there's a lot of like high profile political figures. And it was a much more about kind of getting people. And one thing I thought, you know, what do you do with Borat in 2020? Um, because, you know, he's already done so much amazing work kind of revealing this darkness and ugliness and things. And I was saying from the beginning, and they, you know, everyone was on board um, pretty pretty quickly as we got excited about it. So the, the kind of, the more surprising thing would be to find opportunities to find humanity, reveal goodness in people, reveal kindness and patience, and, and to try to do that, but also make it, you know, really funny. Um, but just to find a new angle that you're not just, um, kind of getting people. So, you know, and then there's that as well, too. So, but just at least to have a balance felt like a way to take into a, a fresh place. And then also, yeah, with this opportunity of the story with, with him and the daughter, see if we could take a movie like this um, and and do something that gets you to actually invest in the story, which is a challenge because these you, you kind of watch a movie with I mean, there's so few movies in this style, but you watch it in a very specific way with this conceptual thing going on in your head where you know someone is real, they're not in on it. You know, he's a character, she's a character. And it's it, it's a challenge to to get a viewer, I think, to kind of go from that watching mode to like, I'm invested mode. And that was something the whole time we had to figure out how much of that and and a lot of the edit was about how, how long those scenes could be between the two of them versus getting back to these kind of hijinks in the real world.
2: You really get into the fine points of the suspension of disbelief and and like meta narratives, because as you say, you're thinking about the movie as like, there's Sasha, like a famous comedian. and He's like putting himself out there and he's doing these kind of pranks. And then there's also this story that I know is like made up as sort of glue material. And yet it becomes the thing that kind of takes over the movie. And I wonder how soon in the process you realized That this kind of romantic comedy (laughs) between the two of them was going to be the thing that that with the engine that drove everything
0: that was really from the beginning that was that was the goal and that was something they were talking about even before i was on board they were watching it happen one night a lot and uh just trying even thinking of the climax the what became the rudy scene in terms of something like the graduate and trying to stop the wedding and to see if you can do something like that i mean that's something he hadn't he hadn't done before I, i don't think is to do Kind of a climactic scene like that with a real person who's kind of an unwitting participant um, that has the same emotional stakes you'd have in in a you know quote unquote normal movie.
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. Do you want to <laughs> talk about casting Maria in this role?
0: <laughs> yeah, she was a, a crazy find. We. Um, we watched hundreds and hundreds of uh, of tapes, and I think about 600 auditions um, from all over the world, all over Eastern Europe, and then also a lot of amazing actors and improvisers and professional clowns and weightlifters. Uh, here, we had every idea of you know what what this character could could be, and. Um, and then it was it was just, yeah, Maria was was a uh, self-tape that she recorded in the middle of the night after she had just graduated from, uh, I think, acting school. It was like right after her graduation, she came home in her attic and did this really funny monologue that just struck me uh, as, you know, I, I just thought she had something. It felt real, and it was also, she was very effortlessly funny. And it was just her, it was based on something we'd written and given to her about bragging how your cage is nicer than all the other girls' cages in the village, and how, like, you, like, like, s- smoke a cigarette and like make fun of a dog because, like, oh, you stupid dog, you don't know how to smoke. <laughs> and like, that was, she made that up. And it's like, oh, that's such a weird, specific thing. Um, and so, from that, we, we had her tape a little more and we flew her to England and had her basically the only way you can test a role like this is with, is basically like doing one of these shoots. So, they had to kind of do the whole thing of booking real people. Who thought they were doing a documentary you know this stuff will probably never see the light of day but um it's as involved as a regular shoot uh and and so we shot some stuff with her in england Then sasha and i came to england and uh did kind of a more traditional chemistry test between the two of them with the breakup scene and we both kind of got emotional we're like wow yeah she can really uh do it all but she was because of visa stuff we had no rehearsal time with her so because we were shooting right away it took like six weeks to get her approved to come here I think two days later she was shooting with the babysitter for the whole day without a safety net or or anything. So it was pretty, she's pretty remarkable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What is it like, like talking about a performance with her in that scenario?
0: We did a little bit of kind of traditional Western improv training with her of just to be very clear, you know, before we knew her, I mean, we wouldn't, now that I know her, I, I, you, you didn't really need to, but just to, kind of talk through you know we say improv but we know this is a comedy and a very big comedy with a lot of like big set pieces and shocking scenes but the core of it has to be real and it has to feel real on sc- on screen but also of course you have to come off like a real person to the actual real person you're with who thinks you're real so <laughs> <laughs> so aunt hines and peter bainham and, and the other writers would come up with hundreds of lines for her and for sasha they would memorize before they would go in and just just we'd rehearse every scene the night before and then kind of cross out lines or come up with new lines or come up with new props or, or ideas and she'd just spend all night memorizing it and then just kind of wing it and, and be out there but it was you know one one line that just sounds too much like a written joke and the whole thing is kind of blown or someone could started wondering, hey, what what is this? Something sounds a little too comedy, a little too perfect, and um, so a lot of it was about like, don't worry about being funny. Here's the material, but you have to just do it. You have to just be a real person with these with these people. Yeah,
2: It's amazing. And now she's like on, you know, the Oscar circuit
0: <laughs> for her performance. I did say I the first day we shot with her was it was just this scene in the movie that's about twenty seconds where they're in like a, a hair salon. And she, in the, the hairstylist, like, can I see your hair? And she, like, flashes her. And it's just, like, this one kind of awkward moment. And and then they, she does her hair. And she was like, did I do okay did I okay the first day? And I was like, yeah, I, I think you're g- probably going to get nominated for an Oscar for this. <laughs> <laughs> and I started saying it to people. I was like, yeah, I just have a weird hunch. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. But I, I had a hunch from the first day that people would see how remarkable what she was doing is. Especially because she's she's alongside him who's the only person in the world that really does this and she's doing what he does and adding to scenes and getting laughs that are just as big as what he's getting, but also able to do this like emotional heavy lifting. Um, And and it's not jarring, you're not suddenly watching a different movie that it all kind of connects is, uh, is pretty incredible for, for both of them, their performances are pretty incredible.
2: I, I really noticed in the scene when she goes to like the bakery and wants, and and accidentally eats the little plastic baby (laughs) and the fact that like she is putting Sasha on his heels in a way where he's like no longer in control of the scene and it's so exciting to watch because you're so used to that for him that he's in charge and he's driving it and suddenly there's somebody else like pitching off-speed pitches and he's got to like deal with it and so spontaneous and It's really electrifying when you see that.
0: Yeah, that is, that's great that you say that, because it did, that was our hope, is that she would add an an element of chaos that kind of could, you know, because he is Sasha, he's not the same person he was when he made Bar. Yeah, like, you know, comedy fans already knew him, but he was pretty much not very well known in America. He's a different person now. He's one of the most famous people around. He's coming at this from a much higher stakes position, and in moments like that she's able to like make him vulnerable again or take control away from him that uh was really interesting to watch uh and yeah no that's that's great I mean we did so much kind of workshopping and rehearsing to try to figure out what their dynamic was and and, you know are they just two kind of idiots echoing each other and you see a little bit of that in um they're in the makeup store and she's eating lipstick and then he grabs and he eats lipstick and so that's just kind of like and, and he, he's like a trained clown, actually. He went to clown school and he knows all this theoretical stuff about clowning and he would talk through that stuff. But um, you know, part of that is just, oh, you have two idiots and they're both completely idiot. And then you have another version where, in scenes like that where you have uh, um, dynamics and he's an idiot, but he's assuming authority. And so it's like one type of idiot with another type of idiot. <laughs> and So it, the movie became a mix of that. We tried to kind of narrow in on the tone, but a lot of it was, was very experimental along the way.
2: Yeah, of course, and he, and he becomes a dad sometimes. That's what I really like about him. He's like, he just like, okay, you know, he's like, no, she needs to have the cupcake. You know, he was just he was defeated by
0: her. He is and he, you know, he's a real dad of, of three young kids in real life and I'm sure, you know, and he wasn't back then and I'm sure that is something that he, he was able to use.
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. So it's, I, look, the, I, I hope everyone who's listening can appreciate the level of difficulty of making a comedy sequel. It is, you know, you're basically trying to sequelize something that is such a surprise and becomes a sensation because it's coming out of left field and you can't believe something like this exists because nothing like this has ever existed before. I mean, and then you're saying, let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought you were really successful at finding, essentially finding a whole new set of moves. And in this movie, you want to talk about like how this movie evolved in edit to become really more of a story <laughs> than anything else.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it just, it kept evolving, but yeah, the challenge, I mean, no, thanks Phil, because you you and, and Chris, obviously, uh, 22 Jump Street, made one of the the best comedy sequels ever. And it is hard because you're, right, so much of comedy, especially Borat, so much of that, was it was like a, a nationwide shock of like, oh my God, look at this incredible thing. Everyone was watching it when it came out. Everyone remembers seeing it in a theater. And it was so fresh and new. And, and even though it was a format that people weren't familiar with, it, it, everyone got it right away. And now people know what it is. They, they know the moves a lot more, even though Sasha doesn't, hasn't done a lot of stuff like that. It's not like he went and made 10 movies like that. It still became so much part of the culture and kind of um, went on to influence other things that everyone's familiar with it. So we're like, well, we're not going to have, we're not going to have that shock element and we're not going to have the, the kind of, innocent feeling that the first one had because we're in a very different world. And, and that was why he wanted to bring the character back is to is to try to do something new with it, is to say, well, what is what is Borat in a, in a world? I When I said to him, I was like, I think you want to bring this back because Trump is the only person who has beaten you at revealing the ugliest parts of America. <laughs> 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 There's jealousy there, um, which is why he had to like come back and, and, and weigh in because it's a different world. We're living in this really horrifyingly dark cartoon right now um, that is, is so absurd. It's, it's not just bad, it's like absurd or almost like you look at Rudy Giuliani's month after this movie came out and Four Seasons Landscaping and just all these details that feel written by comedy writers that have just bled into the real world.
2: Yeah, I mean, you have the most coherent scene of rudy giuliani of the year <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's an true. incredible feat true. of direction that you could make sense of words that were coming out of his mouth
0: right that was like his peak that was the scene in our movie was the most dignified he was like all month <laughs> <That was his laughs> it's incredible.
2: oh my <laughs> lord i know and you it's it's interesting like that 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 first movie has a lot to do with trying to um awaken us to our latent um uh you know uh, uh, perversions and uh and and our racism and our sexism and our antisemitism and and now that stuff is like so so present that the movie really feels like it's waking you up to something else it's waking you up to our humanity in some way
0: i was hoping for that and there and there were things even um jim and jerry uh the two uh uh, trumpy guys that he lives with you know those guys we went into that house he and I both lived in that house for days and went in with a lot of ideas of very aggressive um, bits that we would do of stuff that was like potentially gonna blow it up of really tormenting these guys who we hadn't met yet who were just like theoretical to us the the team that kind of finds real people it's like we have these guys we think we can set it up and engineer it that you can live with them and we'll mount some cameras and we can get it all set up, and uh, and we figured out how to do that, and we're like, okay, let's like let's really c- kind of mess with these guys, and then as soon as we were into it, we, you know, A discovered they were sitting around one night, and he's saying all of this misogynist stuff about his daughter and, and kind of absurd things, and these guys were actually really correcting him, and not only about the kind of cartoony stuff, but saying, no, we have to, no, here we treat women equally. No, women can do anything. Like, they're, like, not really saying what we expected these guys to say. Actually, like, being much more feminist than we expected. And um, and so we're like, okay, maybe we won't do the thing where he comes in uh, to that guy's bedroom naked to <laughs> like, <laughs> like, or, or maybe he won't like, yeah, like come into the shower when the guy's taking a shower. So like we, we started pulling back on these more aggressive bits because we're like, actually an interesting thing is happening, which is that these guys really started caring about him, caring about f- helping him find his daughter. and And we were like, well, maybe we'll be able to do something where we can show these are not necessarily evil people they their brains have been poisoned by by trump by the internet by social media by facebook and fox news and all of these these forces um and hopefully that's a point that that came across when you see those guys and they're not just ridiculed um and they're actually likable guys i mean right now you know post january 6th uh it's hard to even talk about it but it is important to remember that um you know, everyone thinks they're doing the right thing. And some people just have truly wrong information.
2: Yes, and I, I thought a lot about that this week about how um, those, those folks at the Capitol were, that, that some of them were just kind of like regular people who had been really deeply misled for a really long time and were horribly confused.
0: Yeah. You know? And yeah. I thought about your movie
2: yeah. and I thought about those two guys and how lovely it was to spend 20 minutes with them.
0: What's crazy? Yeah, and we have days of material of of those guys and hopefully we'll figure out a way to put that out because it was interesting just watching them live together and make breakfast and just have all this time together. But I was watching some of that footage this week. I was watching an interview with the, the guy Jim and it was just one of these interviews where sometimes like we needed to, we wanted to rehearse or kind of me and the writers and Sasha would kind of get together and figure out, okay, what do we want to do in the next hour so we, we would distract the guys, we would take them outside of the house and do an interview and just look out kind of boilerplate stuff. And a lot of it was just kind of parroting Fox News talking points. But um, they were like, what if, are you worried at all? You know, what's gonna happen if Biden wins? And the guy uh, starts talking about it. He's like, yeah, if Biden wins, you know, yeah, there could be violence. There could, he goes, look, I don't want there to be violence, but I'm gonna do what I have to do if the election is stolen. Like, and just basically predicts, ex- this was last wow. January. This is a full year ago. And he might as well have been describing what happened last week after the fact. So in that world that, you know, people um, like us, I think even though we're aware are still sheltered from a lot of that. And also the 24 hours of being told your election has been stolen. You have to do something being told by the president, you have to do something. You can't be weak (laughs) that like, it's like, oh, these guys have been in that reality for years that this was a a crazy thing to watch, but it is, it's the most, obvious thing in hindsight, this was, was gonna happen, yeah. What, tell
2: me what it was like, how you found those guys, and you keep saying that you were living in the cabin with them, but like, what was it? I wanna get underneath like, the level of difficulty and the mortal danger that you decided to put yourself in.
0: That was actually one of the least dangerous situations. That might be the least dangerous <laughs> situation because <laughs> we, we had, so the, 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 team that finds people, they found these guys, they have ways, very kind of subtle ways of determining whether or not these real people are aware of Sasha or of Borat and had found these guys and also had um, a, a third guy, actually a, a, another guy that was going to be living with them. And we had this whole process by which, um, you know, we do uh, kind of a final check to, Um, make sure they don't know who he is and uh, and just kind of let it let them see him for a moment. And if they have a certain look in their eye or if they say, you know, it only happened a few times when we're shooting the the team was really good about making sure that by the time we got people, they were pretty safe, that we were pretty certain they didn't know. But then they met him and they were were setting up cameras. And then one guy goes, that's who he looks like. He looks like that Borat guy. Um, because we weren't using the name Borat, obviously. We don't say that out loud because we don't want someone to Google it afterwards and then try to go public. And so mm-hmm. like, so we'd give him another name and then we, we flipped out and we had to figure out a way to separate that guy and get him away without him understanding why. And I mean, but otherwise, you know, that was just, yeah, we, we had set up the house and we had figured it out and they had booked those guys and, and just kind of moved in. The hardest part was that with that was we knew that, you know, we had this rally that we were going to, this gun rally And that was going to be, we were going to live in the house for a few days. We're going to, you know, engineer it so that they found Tutar on on the computer that we had set up so that when they turned it on, that video clip would be on the website that, that was there. And hopefully we were hoping they would recognize that it was the daughter that he had showed them in pictures. And the rally was the next morning. And so, you know, that was all, that was the most difficult part was this is during COVID. There are no, you know, all any meetings are over zoom and there was so much, energy put into making sure the house went well and that we were ready in different scenarios and we had all these things planned and we kind of had to be fluid and keep moving, but to go right from that to this gun rally where we had you know, spent months kind of infiltrating this group, giving them money so that we could um, have access to the stage, obviously they didn't know why, um, and then making it so that he could go on uh, and sing that song and make it all kind of feel organic and natural, so, and, and then shoot all that stuff you know, that's, this you can't tell from watching the scene, but the this, this stuff in public, when they find uh, Tudor and try to tell her, your dad's looking for you, that was all what we call covert cameras. That's all just operators with like backpack cameras and just like little, like no one's holding a camera there because we don't want people looking at cameras being like, what's this a shoot? So any scene like that in public had to be shot completely invisibly so there really, I mean, there weren't any easy days. On no. <laughs> and, then that, and then that one, they chased us out of. That's not in the movie either, but um, we had an escape vehicle. He sang that song for, I think, about 13 minutes. They figured out it was him. They stormed the stage to try to to try to try kill him. Uh, someone pulled a gun. Uh, we had security who was quick enough, and he got out of there. I was waiting uh, right behind. We hopped into this van and took off, or tried to take off, and they surrounded it. There's this uh, crazy clip that it, uh, Sasha put it on uh, Twitter. But, yeah, they surrounded our, our van, and they pulled the door open. You see him, and, and remember, he's dressed, he's in, like, a 70-pound fat suit. He's dressed like a cartoon hillbilly, and he's, like, holding onto this door, like, for his life as <laughs> these guys are, like, we know it's you, Sasha. Come out there, trying to drag him out. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was one of the dicier ones. <laughs> it's
2: so crazy it's like, it's like you're making like a comedy and you're also like interacting with real people the closest thing i can think of is like nomadland <laughs> <laughs> yes. where you're just sort of like yeah we're gonna hang out with these real people and we're gonna like take it as you know we're gonna see what happens it's such a it's, it's like it's such a it's like it's it's such a it's straight comedy but it's also total experimental really groovy neorealist filmmaking at the uh, same time
0: <laughs> yeah we and, and and a lot of ways a documentary too because we really would you know we'd have ideas of how we wanted scenes to go but we would if things went in one direction it would definitely come and impact the storyline later we call things back and that would that something would happen on a shoot and be like oh we can reference that later or change change this story and stuff so it it really did uh evolve a lot yeah it
1: was
2: yeah how do you it's one of the things i think about a lot is that if you want to if you got into directing because you like to be in control (laughs) like you'd need a different job right yeah we have been like we have you know built up this kind of idea of like the director is completely in control of his film I, this, this movie is the story, you're in control of the story, but you're not in control of anything else. Like, tell me how you create an environment on set where like, things are directed, people are, people know what they're doing or supposed to accomplish, but you're still really open to this. And and I imagine, you know, your roots, Not if, if y'all don't know, um, Jason has like the best Uh, uh, credits in comedy and came up with Human Giant and has directed every, you know, great comedian. How does that experience kind of, you know, fold into this?
0: You know, there's something, right? There's an element of just um, letting really funny people do what they do best and and create that. And I mean, on this, there was just a lot of rehearsal and also giving them as much comfort as possible within the parameters of a very chaotic, uncontrollable situation. But, you know, because we only had those two actors, and and Sasha, is Sasha, and, and kind of he has his process and knows exactly what he what he does, and 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 kind of how to how to shape these scenes. A lot of times we would sneak off to a corner, or just you know, I would get there first, and we'd have the cameras casual. And there's a lot of reality setting before we're actually going, so that it's not just boom into craziness with people. Because people, we're not shooting with stupid people. These are all smart people. They just haven't heard of Borat and. Um, and so there's a lot of kind of figuring out, oh, introducing him, then he and I kind of can quietly fit you know, while they're micing the real person, we're talking about, okay, well, this, that, and that. And I think this, you might want to do that or, and figure out like, you know, and then during the scene, little, little breaks where we kind of confer and, and, and figure things out. And, you know, there are no second takes in this kind of thing. So it's all communicated with like glances. Sometimes you'll hold up a piece of paper with a, a note on it or say, you might want to hit that thing. Or if there's a joke that we loved, that he hadn't figured out a way to work in yet, you know, remind him of, of that. But um, with the real people, it was, the most important thing was that it wasn't a reality show, that people weren't giving us what we, what, you know, necessarily they thought we wanted. That, that there were a few times we went into someone's house and they were too kind of reality trained and too quippy and it just doesn't work when someone is so performative. A lot of it, you know, it's about, the same way with any kind of working with an actor is giving you know permission to do something. It's just like you can you know to the babysitter um, never told her what to say, and she was so good that people thought she was an actor. People thought it was scripted because she's so perfect. I and was
2: sure she was an actor. Yeah, <laughs> that's but right. I
0: saw that stuff.
2: I was absolutely sure. And you told me that it was you. I mean, where did she come from? You said that was very early in the shoot.
0: That was the first week, yeah, and she was just, they had found her, they had uh, reached out to a church in Oklahoma and talked about, you know, not saying exactly what the project was, but talked about the type of project and the type of people we were hoping to have in it, and we saw her tape and we're like, yeah, she seems great, she's the, and sometimes we would shoot scenes with multiple people, she, as soon as we started with her, we're like, oh, this is it, this is magic, and she's just incredible, Um, and there were times that the only thing I would do with her is just remind her, she, it was okay to say what she wanted to say because she was so polite that when she she didn't, you know, when Tutar's like, I'm going to go have plastic surgery and she was clearly shocked by it. She was just kind of say, okay, didn't say anything. And she's like, what do you want me to do? I was like, do whatever you're comfortable with, but it's okay if you're honest with her, that's that's it. It's just kind of giving real people permission to be like, to react in a real way and not worry about offending anybody. She was worried about, the girl's dad at seeing it and she didn't want to you know offend him and i was like don't I was, don't worry about that he's not going to you know see this or or we'll take care of that or we'll I'll, I'll talk to him and um that was it it was just kind of allowing people to be them figuring out how to how to kind of help people be themselves on camera
2: yeah but like what an incredible human being that she was just
0: worried about she, she's amazing yeah she's so amazing and you know I mean, she came back, you know, We because some of the things, she was so amazing after that first day that we were like, you know what, let's kind of keep in touch with her, give her updates. We might want to bring her back because the scene where he goes back to her and realizes there that he loves his daughter was not originally part of the script. He was, we had another idea. He was. It was kind of a placeholder scene where he would be in a therapist's office, and I, and I had always kind of pushed against it because I thought, in that moment of the movie, this kind of sit-down scene with a stranger, you don't want to... Be kind of in that it just felt wrong for the climax of the movie to do kind of another interview scene, and then at a certain point, right at the very end, it was right when we went back to shooting after the kind of COVID lockdown break. Uh, they came up with let's see if we can get Janice, the babysitter, back, and um, and see if we can make that happen there. If we can, you know, have him uh, go back to get something from her, and then. He'll he'll realize that there, and, and because we had fallen in love with her so much, and uh, and you know it was good that she kind of came forward. I think because um, it 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 made so clear that she was real. She was a real person. It wasn't you know she's she said the truth in all these interviews. Is that we didn't put her up to anything. We didn't give her lines, and she she completely thought it was real. And uh, and and now she's she's happy with the whole experience.
2: Really, that's so that's such a great that's such a great um, coda to it. That she is really like pleased. With how it worked out. she comes off great in the movie, and really, it's there are a few people like her. I thought the the guys in the cabin and the the women in the synagogue were just so inspiring. It just makes you go like, maybe we're gonna be okay at some point.
0: Yeah, that yeah, the the synagogue was yeah emotionally probably the the toughest day because I mean that was dicey. That was one of those scenes. It was like, well, they could get you know, we're talking about a Holocaust survivor and he's coming in looking like an absurd caricature of basically a Nazi version of a Jew. And we're like, yeah, this could go very, very badly. <laughs> and and that was another one where Judith, uh, who's uh, sadly no longer with us, saw him. And I mean, look, she'd been through the Holocaust. This is not going to rattle her. <laughs> like, that was what I realized. It was like, oh. He
2: responded with love. That yeah. was
0: just so interesting. No, I was, I... Started crying there afterwards because I was like, oh my God, the way she responded to this like absurd fool and what he was saying and what he was doing. And she just responded with such dignity and love and kindness and patience. And and you know, that was one of those scenes that came out just a thousand times better than we had hoped. And and um and then afterwards, that was the only time where we revealed basically what it was because we wanted we didn't want them going home with questions, and so we're like, look, this is obviously, this is, um, you know, a, a satirical thing that is a Jewish actor. This is about, uh, educating people that the Holocaust happened because we, we learned this absurdly high figure of young people who don't believe the Holocaust happened or don't know about it, and we wanted to do this, you know, very extreme scene, a very kind of shocking scene, um, that would, you know, uh, highlight a survivor such as you and make it clear, and she not only understood it, but she was helping us, explain it to her friend doris in a way that was so much more eloquent than i was saying it where she was because her friend was a little bit annoyed she's like well i, I wish you told us this up front we're like well the way we do these scenes is we just kind of let them happen and then you know we were always going to tell you and then judith was like she's like why couldn't you just do a lecture or something and judith w- told her friend no one would watch that no one wants to see something dry and tell you that the holocaust happened you have to She's like, to get young people to pay attention to this, you have to do something kind of over the top like this. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think she was right. And uh, no, she was incredible.
2: But it's the only way to witness the spontaneous love that a person can show a stranger that doesn't deserve it.
0: You know? That really does not deserve it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and just the deep, I thought a lot about that this month about how like, you know, that uh, African-Americans in Georgia saved this country and really, and, and it can only be out of like a deep love of a country that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> and, and, and I thought that that was on display over and over and over again in this movie that is insanely surprisingly life-affirming. And one of my favorite movies of the year because it, it just keeps falling back on this kindness. And who would have thought that it would be just as funny as being mean?
0: <laughs> I I was hoping, you know, yeah, it's so, we all feel so bad all the time now. As I don't, it, we didn't feel like, it wasn't like this in 2006, um, where we were all walking around every day, acknowledging that all of us felt bad all the time. <laughs> even, even before COVID, it was like, yeah, this is a bad feeling time. Um, and uh, and so it just felt like it it wouldn't make sense to if that was the angle again, if it was about just revealing ugliness and and shocking uh people um you know, yeah, yeah, so that was we were, we were really we were hoping for for that you know i I loved who is america um I, I i thought it was a great show, it was hilarious, and it was brutal it it didn't make me feel good, and so that was the thing I kind of came into this is to say to, to do a movie that people are are, are going to watch and love and, and want to share with their friends and have it, you know this kind of big special experience i was like i think we need you know we really need to kind of lean into the stuff that's ultimately going to not leave people feeling bad or, or sour about how things are feeling you know feeling alert feeling like certainly there's you know at that end the, the the kind of last frame is is the two of them hugging on on the right side of the screen of this kind of heartwarming moment and on the left side of the screen it's like these caricatures of Americans killing Dr. Fauci, holding a vaccine <laughs> syringe. So you kind of are hitting both angles in that, in that last moment. And but. I
2: will say, I truly cried. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this movie three or four times and that moment always makes me go. I think it's cause like, I mean, they're so cute together and you're like, I can't believe it. And, and you've earned this kind of moment where it's almost like the veil on Sasha almost drops a little bit and the character becomes ever so slightly more grounded and he's just there with her and you just kind of like this is beautiful
0: (laughs) well that's so nice of you to say i mean yeah that's the kind of thing where if i mean if we had screwed it up it would have been just pandering i think (laughs) and just like embarrassing so i mean yeah it's hard to take a there's not a lot of heartwarming moments that you feel for him but it's a very different thing in the first movie and and certainly bruno is a much colder movie and, and sasha's definitely done um emotional acting were tons of it and great great work but not in a not in one of these movies what he calls his undercover movies so it was an attempt at something new
2: what was it like um how did you approach the more narrative sequences like did you have to like shoot them worse <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Make
2: them fit with other stuff what yeah. was it like thinking about that
0: yeah, because yeah, we didn't want it to suddenly look better, or suddenly look like very cinematic. So, you know, the whole the whole look of the movie is based on work Sasha's done and the work Larry Charles did in the first one. And, you know, and it's amazing and it's perfect for this, which is that you you don't see any of the kind of filmmaking. You feel a guy with a kind of ENG shoulder mounted camera swinging around covering it. You know, there's a lot of planning. There's a lot of very intentional decisions about you know, when he's interviewing someone who, you know, we, we have a certain amount of uh, an angle on them. We have eyes on them. We're panning to them after the question for the reaction. There's a lot of planning. It's not, it's not as kind of haphazard as it seems. It's very intentional. But, um, and then yeah, a lot of the task in these written scenes was to try to make it, you know, feel alive and not just suddenly like two cameras or three cameras kind of planted. And and um, the takes we would typically use is uh, we would shoot a few like, shoot a few rehearsals where you know, we figure out the blocking and then just kind of say, okay, abandon your, your positions and just don't get what you were getting and you guys change it up and just try to, try to get moments that, that, you know, mix it up, feel a little real and catch the operators off guard so that it's not so kind of static feeling when we are back into kind of storytelling mode. And then the other thing, yeah, was, was just to like not light it at all, basically. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> put almost no lights up in the entire movie.
2: Wow, and it's you you literally would tell uh, uh, Sasha Maria like now don't hit your marks.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or well, just be, be open to you know. And his, his process too. He's always coming up with new ideas and new jokes and whatever. And so that helps kind of keep things light on their on their feet for sure. Um, and then and the other thing in terms of editing is you know the good thing is they're kind of I mean they're speaking real languages, but they're all speaking different languages, and so we were able to change the subtitles quite a bit to kind of, cause a lot of those scenes have to come way down or change or hit a story point that we hadn't figured out exactly when we shot it. So like when they decide on Rudy in the car, like that scene where it's just them driving and she shows them the phone was originally about something completely different. And um, that was a thing in, edit, in, in the edit that myself and Mike Giambra, the editor were like, Oh, what if, what if they decide on Rudy in the car here and kind of just because they were speaking, in a language that didn't have to match the subtitles uh, we were able to do a lot of kind of emotional storyline tweaking stuff in, in that way
2: it's crazy so the, the edit is like an incredibly involved part of this thing because how many feet, how many feet of film were shot I, on this That's a good
0: question I don't I someone has that figure I mean it was hundreds and hundreds of hours and there's I mean we tried to watch everything um but it's yeah, it was a, an insane volume of stuff.
2: <laughs> and I'm sure cut after cut yeah. after cut and, ch- and changing the order of things. It's so interesting because the movie is like really guided by a r- relationship story. And then it's also incredibly abstract. So it's one, it, a, there are scenes that could really go anywhere, but they, you had to figure out where they went based on their, their story, I imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, so much changed. Like originally, actually the Mike Pence thing at CPAC was part of the climax at the end, that it was going to be the the kind of, um, in the interview scene, he saves her, he runs out with her and um, and then runs into CPAC and the whole thing was gonna happen at, at CPAC or originally we had talked about it being at the RNC when that was like before COVID, before everything had changed. Right. And so that was something in editing, uh, we had the idea, well, what if we pull that up to kind of um, be this kind of first act, uh, turning point and, um, and that's when things kind of, when it, when it changes, when they fail, uh, that's when it changes to Rudy. And so, yeah, a lot of those decisions were kind of made in the edit, but the edit you know, went on over the course of the year that we were shooting. And then when we were really done shooting, I think it was like four weeks from then to delivery to, to Amazon. And then it was out in like three weeks after that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you don't have time to have any jitters after that. That's so wild. I mean, COVID, how um, dramatically did it change? you know, the movie, do you think?
0: It changed a lot. I mean, it obviously it changed. Uh, it made it even more of a pain in the ass to make the movie. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but also, you know, what we did is we, you know, we decided we locked down like everyone else for a few months. We waited for industry protocols and to kind of get our bearings and figure out if it was even possible to finish this movie in time. We talked about, well, do we just push it to next summer and, and pray that things are back to normal and and Hopefully theaters come back, but you know, the election was the deadline that we'd always been trying to hit. And we decided ultimately we wanted to get it out by the election that kind of was the most important thing. Um, and so, you know, structurally the, the story, they were always going to, to, to split up at a certain point. And, um, and he was gonna, you know, have to look for her. Originally he was gonna team up with, um, we were talking about maybe doing like men's rights guys and you know, just some other type of guys and find her at so some other- go, my cousin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, probably. We <laughs> were gonna have similar events. Um, you know, basically we we decided, oh well, COVID could be another obstacle that that keeps them uh from coming back together. And we knew we wanted to to pair up with guys and we're like, well, what if it's like kind of Trump supporter, QAnon kind of guys and they have to lock down together? It's even better. Uh and and uh and so we just kind of incorporated it but it didn't really change the structure of it so much as just the details within um, we kind of made them work in a in a covid world oh my
2: god what is the <laughs> what, what is um i did at one point in the this process i bumped into you and you had blonde, like frosted blonde <laughs> hair yeah <laughs> why why did that happen
0: I was, uh, I, Sasha thought it would be a good idea if I go undercover as well. <laughs> um, not because- What anyone, was your character? Not be, yeah, not because anyone, my character was just me, but not Jewish, basically. <laughs> me um, thought if I looked less Jewish, people in the deep South would find me more trustworthy. Um, how did it go? It, it, it completely worked. It, no one ever <laughs> doubted. Anything I said, either that or I'm like a, uh, have a true like sociopathic side. But I, I was blonde. My name was Chris, which I just I guess is short, short for Christ. <laughs> and I was um, you know dressed kind of kind of preppy. And um, yeah, no, everyone ever always trust me. Even in like the in the pregnancy crisis center scene where where she eats the doll, and we're at you know we're at this place where they're talking to this pastor. And you know that scene went on longer than it is in the movie. And there's there's jokes where you know at a at a certain point you know he'll push something, and sometimes someone will be like, "What is what is going on here?" And then <laughs> part of part of my job in those situations is to kind of bring things back down to earth, convince someone it was just kind of a miscommunication. And uh, you know they'll like so in that scene, the guy, the pastor, at some point, Sasha said some some joke that was like one bridge to jokey or just started asking him questions about Donald Trump trying to see what would happen and the guy's like excuse me and he came out to me so then the first thing I do is act like I'm on the phone because if I was watching the scene I would be as shocked as this guy so I was right. like, like hey Chris can I talk to you I was like oh yeah what's going on sorry I haven't been watching I've been just dealing with another shoot and and so and, and the guy was like um he's like I don't know what's going on but that guy in there, something like, he's like, that guy is saying like a, a lot of weird, there's something weird. That guy's saying a lot of weird things. He's like, I would, he's like, I think that guy might be pranking you to me. Oh, he was there to, <laughs> again, another kind person just trying to <laughs> yes, hang yes. Up. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, he's like, I wouldn't be surprised if that guy in the denim jacket had like a hidden camera on him or something. So not even thinking at all of like the three giant non-hidden Alexas that were in the room. Not thinking at all that Chris could be part of this. <laughs> the one time people turned on Chris was the debut top ball, um, which it was undeniable by the end that this was the setup, that the whole thing right. had been engineered. You know, that's why the camera, people realized people were, you know, it was late in the night and people have been drinking, but after that dance, people confused and then putting something together and be like, hang on, this whole night, I think was about making us watch this dance. That's why there were five cameras there. Right. And and so I'm getting, we get Sasha and Maria out, they're, they're gone, this is in Macon, Georgia. We're trying to get the crew out, we get the footage out and it's just about escaping. The police have been called, the police are on their way. I'm just, I'm trying to get out of there. And I step out of the back of this kind of beautiful historic house and I, I just had this moment, I was like, I need to make sure, people are getting really angry. And I was like, I need to make sure everyone's safe. So I step back in the house and I hear upstairs people, run, guys running down the stairs going, where the, F is Chris? <laughs> like <laughs> screaming. <laughs> but my brain really like took a moment uh, to be like, man, that Chris guy's in trouble. And then I was like, oh no, I'm Chris. I should, I should get out of here. <laughs> and <laughs> You forgot you were Chris. I really, it was like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something. Like, I really forgot that, oh, they're talking about me. And, and just booked it. And um, the, one of the operators was still upstairs and so said there were eight guys pulling off their jackets coming to like beat me up. So that was, that was the, the time where it was just too much for Chris to even uh, kind even of- Even blonde hair
2: couldn't protect you. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The whole time that you're like stressing out, trying to like, you're trying to keep the crew safe, yourself safe, Sasha safe. You're trying to make the, the bit work great. And then you're also playing a character <laughs> in, like, a in like the meta story that, of, like, a director of, like, a documentary about some weird guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, there's a lot going on. And, right, and we can't do second takes for anything. We can't, you know, oftentimes we're chased out of places. We can't do pickups. Like, the police were called so many times just because people were angry. You know, people don't think you're making a comedy movie. They think you're trying to rob them or something. You know, like people are just confused. That's why they call the police because we never do anything illegal. But when something weird happens, people just call the cops. So yeah, a lot of it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we was
2: trying to- We could make a different movie about that. <laughs>
0: trying to make sure we got enough stuff, but I'm um, also trying uh, to not get killed or beaten up.
2: Yeah. Well, it, you have succeeded at both. You're here, you're living and breathing. You survived. <laughs> You, de- you single-handedly defeated Donald Trump. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll personally take full credit you for that. You and Sasha, and your whole crew. You've <laughs> saved America. Uh, you certainly made my quarantine way better. Um, and, uh, and I can't thank you enough for making the movie. It really is one of my favorites of the year. And, um, and I've always uh, loved working with you and thought you and, and Sasha are geniuses, and you proved me right. This is really a vindication for me
0: that's exactly what it is no thanks so much you were also i mean you were we had a, a very small pool of a few people we would call and be like are we crazy <laughs> is this a disaster is going to work guys for late night calls and frantic and especially in editing um uh you were just such an important uh, help in that stuff and no, thanks thanks so much
2: oh i was really happy to be a part of it thanks for doing this thanks to the dj for hosting us and um, and thanks to, to you, nice folks, for uh, paying attention. Yeah, thank you. I wish
0: we could see you. I wish uh, one day we'll we'll do something like this in person. But but to to everyone watching, uh, this means the world to me. Thank you so much for for watching this. Um, it's a, a real honor. All
2: right. Likewise, guys. Jason, I'll see we'll see you soon. Stay thanks. safe, Out. everybody.
0: Thank you, everybody. Stay safe.
1: Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. If you'd like to hear more, the director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks as we bring you discussions of films from Spike Lee, Regina King, and Viggo Mortensen. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.